this week, I'm joined by Jennifer and Tony Ringham of Precision Imports in Malacca, Minnesota. Sit back, because you don't want to miss it. Jennifer and Tony Ringham own Precision Imports, where they've been servicing European cars since 2006. Tony's a graduate of Universal Technical Institute in Chicago, where he graduated first in his class and finished first in his class at the Mercedes-Benz Star Certification Graduate Program. Jennifer joined Tony in the business in 2018, where she wears multiple hats, such as owner, service writer, parts manager, workflow specialist, car porter, and marketing director, to name a few. On this episode, we revisit their August 2022 feature, Keeping It Rural, to get a closer look at the life and work of rural shop owners and how they make it work. Here they are. Hey, Jennifer and Tony, how's it going? Hey, doing good. How you doing? Great, thanks. Doing well, doing well, man. So, I mean, you guys were featured in our August issue. What's new with you guys since we last checked in with you in the spring? What's new since then? Well, I'll let Jen answer that. Our most recent addition is hiring a service writer. So that's that's been new since we talked in May. So we've we've got some front front end help now that's helping us focus more on running the shop, which we're excited about instead of, you know, just the day to day. You had mentioned that you wanted to hire a service writer when we talked last time. You you were talking about getting the right fit, the right personality, someone that can kind of jive with your flow. So it seems like that worked out. Yeah, he he's put in three weeks and I, I feel like he's doing a really great job. People like him. He he is from the industry, but import cars and, and our segment of business is new to him, but he is, uh, the main component is he's likable, right? And he's really good at communicating and that's what we wanted. I was going to say, we're also looking for a third technician now uh, full-time as well. We haven't found one yet, but we have uh, actively started looking. And I think that that may have changed since we uh, spoke this spring. So if had a good year and it looks like it's maybe time to uh, uh, take the next step um, in our growth. So so just kind of walk us through your shop for those who may not have read the article yet. Just kind of give us the, the, the guided tour starting from the front of the shop, walk us all the way through it and just, you know, talk about just the various aspects of, aspects of your shop and really what makes it special. Sure. Do, do you want any background on kind of how that got started or, or just uh, essentially where we're at today? That would be phenomenal. Go ahead and, do, go ahead and throw the background in there as well. Sure. I'll, I'll kind of give you the, uh, uh, the short story, the short answer to that. So uh, I myself did go to school uh, to fix cars uh, at UTI in, in Chicago, uh, just outside of Chicago. And when I graduated there, um, I wanted to focus on German cars um, through some smart advice from one of my instructors. Um, I, I'm very, that, that probably is the most pivotal piece of advice that I've ever received uh, as far as in this business is that he told me to drive what I like and to work on uh, what pace. And that, that served us very well about eight years later, uh, or, or less than that, probably five years later in life. So after I graduated there, I, I moved to Des Moines, Iowa, and I worked at uh, BMW, Land Rover, and Mercedes dealer. Um, I was working on the Mercedes brand, and uh, I figured out pretty quick that we were going to get capped out at the dealership. I was only going to get more tired and more aches and pains. So one day, I was a little frustrated, and I talked to my, my mom. Uh, my parents owned a real estate business back here in Malacca, where our shop is located now. And she said, well, why don't you move back home and take over the real estate business and just do cars as a, as a hobby? There's more opportunity. Uh, they're pretty small business-minded. So um, I moved back here. Uh, Jen and I, who had gone to high school together, we reconnected. Um, I asked her to marry, marry me. She was dumb enough to say yes. So I did that before she could find anything better. 
and was uh, doing real estate and just started doing cars as, at a, uh, as a hobby where we live now, um, which is where the, the shop is located. And kind of what happened, um, a, a bad thing or some bad luck turned into some good luck. When the economy tanked and real estate fell apart, I had to go to fixing cars full time because we had also purchased a home at the tippy top of the housing market at, and therefore had a, a mortgage <laughs> on a home that was now um, heavily overvalued. That, that we had to pay for. So I just went back to doing the only thing I knew how to do, which was fix cars uh, while Jen was still going to school and waitressing part-time. And long story short, it kept growing and growing. And we were at the point where we had to either move, go lease a building or build a new shop. And we thought, well, let's look, what we got is working quite well. Let's just expand on it. Um, add some more loaner cars, add some more bays and some more help. So we built the new shop in 2016 um, only about a, an eighth of a mile or, or less uh, from our house and from the, the, the existing shop that was actually just our personal garage until we got to that point. So um, since that happened, uh, a couple years after that, Jen joined up and I'll, I'll let her kind of answer what's happened from there. Mo most of the credit for the business growing since the new shop goes, goes to her. So I'll let her answer what, what happened from there. Sure. That's that's obviously a really short story for about you know 10 years worth of time. So our our new location has been open for seven years, and I've been here personally for almost five. And when we built that shop was really the time Tony was hiring his first real, you know, full-time employee. And since then, uh, now they're now we're up to six of us. And uh, you know, for one reason or another, the look of our shop, uh, which I'll go through shortly here, is is unique. And uh, I feel like we've really tried to focus on staying quote unquote who we are while we grow which was why it was really important we found a service writer that they were the right um, communication the right feel you know for our customers the, the type of person they're used to interacting with um, and just tried to preserve that as things get bigger and we continue to do that and um, I'll walk you through the shop then since that was your original question but if you if you're on your way to our shop one of the things i tell our customers is you you might pass an amish buggy and you might pass a porsche and that's true so um i've seen both go past my window today happened this uh, week yeah. yeah uh we really are rural our town has 3000 people in it and until 3 years ago even our road was gravel so our customers would come down our gravel road and and come to the old shop and when we built the new shop we thought wow, we really have something here. You know, we have five bays and, and now we have several employees. Three years ago, we were lucky enough to work with our township and, and asphalt our road. So at least people can take tar all the way to us now, which is a huge improvement for everybody um, in the shop and our customers. But um, so when you, when you get to our shop, you're kind of like, wow, I had no idea this would be out here because you pass a couple of farm silos and whatnot on your way. And from there coming in our door, we chose to build our shop with materials that still felt like us uh with the um what's the right word with the shiplap we have yeah. pine shiplap and silver steel a really rustic look instead of white steel we also have white polished concrete floors with no coating and so they don't they retain that clean look that we can clean to you know a nice crisp white every week and that's what gets done every weekend um and then all the benches are pine custom cabinets and stainless steel tops and just tried to make things different so that when people walked in, they didn't feel like either A, it was one of those dark and grungy shops or B, you know, the sterile dealership where 
there's really no connection either and you don't feel comfortable there for long. Uh, and um, I feel like the design of the shop and the layout turned out pretty well. And a lot of that came from Tony because he, he said most of his life, he had worked in the cold and the dark, you know, and on, and, the, floor. And on the floor. And he said, I'm not doing that anymore. Like this is it. And so we have solar tubes. Uh, we have tons of windows all the way around the shop, the white floors, led lights, and we have two air conditioning units and a furnace and in-floor heat. So it's one of the most comfortable working environments, I would say, if you're going to be an automotive technician, uh, we really built it to pretty much live in it ourselves. And so I think that served our customers well, but also our technicians, because we're all pretty comfortable there instead of, you know, being miserable every day together. It just helps with the efficiency and the flow. And so to continue into the shop, you come in the office, it looks different. It's it's definitely cleaner than most. If you want to check out our pictures, we we take great care as a team and everybody pitches in, cleaning up their bays when they're done repairing, cleaning up the benches at night, and then we have it cleaned on purpose, you know, over the weekend. They run a Zamboni and, and wash hoists or garage doors, anything that needs to be done. And in the shop, it's really just one one large room 4,000 square feet of with four hoists and one wash bay and our waiting area actually faces the the shop and people think that's cool too because they can sit on a nice leather couch and plug in their iPhone and and a lot of times if we find something interesting we'll call them into our shop and show them in person there's really no no secrets um, but we also don't have a lot of waiters compared to many shops because we're rural so a lot of people are dropping cars off or they're taking a loaner uh, I feel like those are the things that that make us stand out. And that's what you would see if you visited our shop. Wow. That, your shop's so impressive, man. Like I love the, the looks like the drone shots that you sent to us. And those were like, just unbelievable. Oh, uh, thanks. Yeah. My dad, actually <laughs> he does, he still does real estate. So that was kind of fun to have him do that. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, so Jen, what kind of an investment is that to have, to have your shop to be like that high end and that pristine, like what sort of investment goes into that sort of look and feel? Um, I assume you're talking like physical work investment or, or just even monetary. Like, I mean, like in terms of like just a ballpark, like what is, like, what does it cost to maintain a shop to that level? Well, we do have to pay an employee, you know, to come several hours every weekend. It's a commitment. We couldn't always do that. You know, the first, I would say 12 or 13 years we did it. You know, Tony would go out on weekends and, you know, when you're a small business owner, it's not uncommon. I'm sure most people know working six or seven days a week is just pretty much what you you at least you feel like you have to do. And we did over the last five years, though, we've been really blessed to be able to hire people to help us. So we're not the ones out there scrubbing, you know, every weekend. However, we do have to sacrifice, you know, sometimes shop repair time for us to stop and, and do things as a team, you know, whether it's move cars in the parking lot, we're, we're sticklers about cars being lined up like facing the right way, parked correctly. In fact, we're striping the parking lot this fall. So that's the next edition we're excited about giving people real parking spaces. Um, and, and so we do sacrifice some shop time, which ultimately equals money. But uh, it used to be, I think our sense and even our, our guys, you know, as in the technicians and other guys in the shop, it was like, hey, Tony and Jen are picky. They, they weren't bitter about it because they want to work in a clean shop too. They're happy that it's clean, but they thought we do this because, you know, Tony and Jen like it clean and yeah, it, it's nice, but you know, nobody really cares. But over the, I would say, you know, since having the new shop, it's 
literally the number one thing that people mention to us every time. If we get a new customer who comes in the shop, if we meet people like yourselves, if people visit our website, it's a constant topic of conversation. So now we've really adopted it. it it's pretty much one of our core values. Like the shop has to be clean. <laughs> you know, it's no longer optional or just a nice thing to have. And I think that all the money or, or even time investment we've made has really, it, it pays us back. It made the difference in why people will come, you know, all the way here to, to have something fixed that in some cases there's five shops, depending on where they're coming from in between that might do that same repair, but they come all the way to us. And we're super grateful for that. Okay. Now, Tony, how's business been for you this summer? You know, we, we've had an excellent year. Um, I, I'm always careful who I say this to, because I'm, I'm very cognizant. Well, we're cognizant of the fact that a lot of people um, have struggled since, you know, the, the lockdowns and so forth. And, uh, you know, I, I always tell people that we, you know, we, we could have owned a restaurant or a gym or, or a movie theater, any of the things that weren't considered essential and been, and been shut down, right? You know, just like everyone else. We were fortunate enough to be considered essential. Um, and I suppose however many trillions of dollars in stimulus money didn't, didn't hurt either for the economy, not for us per se, but I suppose it made customers fix things that uh, they wouldn't normally fix along with the used car market being so overpriced. Um, we're repairing cars that, you know, in years past probably would have, you know, ended up on Craigslist or maybe even in the salvage yard, but with, with used cars prices and new car shortages being what they are. Um, I suppose all of those things contribute to it um, as well as we just get a lot of referrals and try really hard to keep people happy. So it's been a great year. I think this will be the best year we've ever had. And, and we said that last year and the year before. So uh, I don't know how many years we can get away with saying that, but we're, we're going to do it this one. So. Awesome. And Jennifer, something you mentioned, uh, you know, in the story, when we talked the last time you talked about wanting to be more hands-on with marketing, you mentioned like you guys weren't doing a ton of marketing because your word of mouth was so strong, but you mm -hmm. said that, you know, that might dry up at some point. You really want to be ahead of the curb in terms of getting out there and making sure you're very front facing with marketing. Has that, has, how's that gone or has that changed or. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's changed. Uh, we've worked on a couple of things since just today. I gave the go ahead to a marketing team that we work with to post our new website that I think is is really strong in the content, meaning that Google will have an even easier time finding us and serving us up to the people who are looking, especially in the areas that you know, we're not physically located in some of the cities that we draw our largest customer base from. And so if someone is there with a particular car that we service very often and they're searching, well, there might be, you know, three shops in their area that also somewhat have it built in right, you know, to their SEO that they'll fix an Audi, let's say. But if our website has more content and our Facebook has more content and our Google card has more content, all of those things basically feed the Google machine is the way it was described to us. And so um, we're kind of excited to see the new website come up because it will be more robust with the content that I think is, is going to help. Uh, although right now I'm, I'm not wishing for the phone to ring anymore, but growth is a good thing, right? For every business owner. Um, and we'll figure out how to deal with the problem of growth when we have to, you know, the next one. But um, we also, I didn't really mention this the last time we talked, but we, we take the time a couple times a year and probably should do it more often to send cookies and donuts and uh, at Christmas time specifically, we just like to thank a lot of the parts stores and the other shops in our area. They 
are some of our best advertising. And beyond the referrals, they're probably number two in line. If if a Volkswagen rolls up at one of the local shops and needs a timing belt, they they usually will say, hey, you know, glad to see you, but I'm going to send you out to Precision Imports, you know, so several times a week, we get a phone call, hey, so and so at this shop sent me, hey, so you know, and that radius has grown because every shop is is very busy. And I feel like, you know, most most reasonable shops are busy right now, and they're specializing in what they're good at. And so they don't really want to get involved in this. And there's enough for everybody. So they've been gracious enough just to keep keep sending people our way, which frees them up to do what they're good at. And we try to do the same, you know, if we have a, there are some things that we, we know we could figure out, but it's just not the best use of the customer's money in our time. And so we'll, we'll share work that way, but the local, um, we do take the time to say specific thank yous, cards, cookies, whatever, you know, to some of the local shops. And then, um, we also, I'm trying to think if there's anything else specific that we've done this year for marketing, we do have a billboard and, that's more content on our Facebook page, but that, yeah. that pretty much covers it. I think so. I think that's all of it. Maybe some mailers, you know, this fall, we might, when I get a little more time, I might work on a project like that. Okay. And so walk us through the new website. When does that launch? Uh, well, I just gave them the okay today to make Ooh. it live. And so she told me that, you know, I could be getting some, you know, you have to get two factor authentication, you know, to, for them to uh, edit our, uh, domain. And so I would think by the end of the week, it very well could be the new, new website. They've been really responsive and, and it's ready to go. So I'm excited to see it go up. And if that does, you know, drive phone calls, I feel like it'll be easy to track because it's one, you know, one change on a very specific date and we can kind of see what happens. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. We talked last time about just the draw of rural shops. Like you guys have a very specialized shop. And so, um, What's that like for people who don't know what that's like to draw people in? Talk about the influx of traffic, like how you got, like how people are, are coming to you and where they're coming from mm -hmm. just to come to your shop, you know, out in Malacca. You know, I, I think one of the, the we, we'd feel amiss in having an interview like this without, you know, giving uh, credit or thanks to oh, so, so many people and, and um, the other shops, as Jen already mentioned. But another thing that, that we probably, minimized over the years is just having loaner cars and how big that's been. Um, we typically have 10 loaner cars and then oftentimes a few cars for sale as well that we'll loan out if we need to. And so I, I feel like that makes a big difference for somebody who's coming a half hour, 45 minutes, sometimes over an hour away if they don't have to have their spouse um, follow them, mm -hmm. uh, as well as after hours and before hours pickup drop off. Uh, we, we typically can arrange the loaner car can be picked up in the morning or at night. Uh, and vice versa when they come to pick their car up. So I think loaner cars have been huge. They're an expense. We we don't charge for them. They're nothing special. You know, they're all 10, 15 year old uh, Volkswagen, Audi, Beamer, Mercedes, whatever. But that's been huge. Um, and I think the just the fact that the dealer rates have gotten so expensive and the the experience can be so so sterile and impersonal um, that people are refreshed when they can find someone and actually speak to them face to face who understands their car, um, you, you know, knows them personally, probably knows their kids, uh, you know, when they bring their cars up and drop them off. And at the, at the dealership, you're typically just whatever number or tag is in your, in your windshield, you know, hanging off the rear view mirror. If you're 371, you're, you're number 371. But if you come up here, you're going to spend a little bit of time talking to us, you know, get to know us. We might see you around town or, 
we even run run into people at restaurants, you know, an hour away from where we live that we we service their cars. So um, we haven't had a lot of social media presence uh, in the in the past. Uh, I think most of it has really been uh, what what most marketing companies would say is the 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 slow arduous way of building a business, which is you know word of mouth and referrals. And I think that's mostly along with some loaner cars. Uh, as well as maybe some specialized knowledge have have gotten to be where we are today. Okay. Let's talk about your technicians a little bit. Let's talk about training. Like in terms of training, what are you guys doing there to keep your technicians current? So I I can answer that one. Um, The biggest thing that we do right now is I'm still in the shop every day. And although I'm not changing engines um, or, you know, doing, doing brake lines and things like that, there's just certain things I don't want to do anymore. And I'm blessed not to have to do that. Uh, cause we have some help and, but, but I, I feel like I've always naturally loved to teach and I'm naturally a very uh, intellectually curious person. So I'll spend a lot of time researching forums, technical art- articles, um, service bulletins, uh, things like Identifix and IATN where there's just, you know, gobs of, of service info. Um, and my wife and I are also voracious readers. We love to read. And so a lot of it right now is, um, we'll have what's called case studies at the shop where I'll be working on something kind of difficult or they will. And then we'll, we'll call everybody over and say, okay, here, here's, here's a car that's having this problem. Here's all the, all the dead ends we could have went down, but we decided to go down this road and here's why, and here's what we found and here's how we could do better next time. Uh, you know, and here's what we learned. So while they do do some online tra- uh, training and we do realize that there will be um probably have to be an increase of that with with the rollout of electric vehicles and and more hybrid vehicles. Um, You're never done learning, but because I enjoy teaching, a lot of what we do is very hands-on in person. Um, I don't know whether that's good or bad. If we had 20 employees, that that may be more difficult to make everybody stop uh, and and come over and see what I'm working on or or come talk about what one of their coworkers is working on. But I would say 95% of it has been that. Um, I seek out the knowledge and then through experience, I'm able to um, transfer that knowledge to them. Uh, there just really isn't any replacement for experience. I don't think any amount of reading uh, or listening to, to training will, will replace that. So that is one thing we're going to focus on more as I may be in the shop less in the future, um, developing that curiosity and that hunger. But there's a lot of resources for that. O'Reilly's and WorldPack do a great job of putting on uh, seminars and training sessions that the guys have been doing some of that after hours as well, along with, of course, um, you know, things like Ratchet Wrench Magazine are great reading when you're sitting down at lunchtime. Uh, there's awesome articles in there, awesome learning, um, along with uh, a few other industry publications that that we get. So uh, that that's pretty much uh, pretty much the answer to that right now is a, a lot of hands-on. Okay, and I know that you're a guy who's kind of ahead of the curve on kind of emerging technologies you had mentioned before that you had a, a level two charger in your shop and you have owned EVs. Is that something you guys are starting to move into in the shop as well? Like training on EVs, talking about EVs, ADAS, some of the, uh, the, the technologies coming in the pipeline. So we have, um, and I'll be honest with you on that. Uh, in terms of market saturation on that technology, it's, it's, it's currently very disputed. So for instance, if you look at AAA, which is considered kind of one of the foremost automotive, you know, broadcasting um, organizations, as far as determining, you know, what the thing, what they think the price of gas will be, you know, right down to how many miles people drive every year, 
they're not forecasting a very large market saturation of EVs for, you know, 15, 20, 25 years. But if you go to Bloomberg and some of these other publications, you know, they, they make it sound like, wow, you know, within 10 years, there could be 50% of the cars on the road are EVs. Uh, I think the truth's probably somewhere in between. We definitely need to learn more about uh, those cars and working on them. The, the trouble is a few things, and I, and I think this is good for any shop that that's, might be listening to this uh, podcast, is whether or not EVs are the market saturation by 2035 or 2050, there's going to be challenges in terms of will it be whole unit replacement? You know, will we be allowed to replace individual battery cells? Uh, will we be allowed to replace? Uh, and when I say allowed, I don't mean permission. Like, can we can we source and service these parts? Can we rebuild drive assemblies? Can we, um, you know, update the software in in the various modules if necessary? Um, or is that all going to be done, you know, over the air in the customer's garage, like like many companies are moving towards? And then also. Um, Many of uh, many of the components in an electric vehicle are covered by a federal emit not, not emissions warranty, but um, that, that's kind of how they're categorized as emissions warranty. But many of those components are covered for eight years, uh, or, or I believe 100,000 miles. Might even be 10 years or 100,000 miles. So we won't really know what kinds of problems those cars are having, possibly for uh, two decades, just for the fact that if it takes 10 years to reach significant market saturation. Uh, and maybe they're warrantied for an additional five or 10 past that, you know, depending on the model year. Uh, it, it's hard to know in the aftermarket what things are failing and what, what's cost effective to service and what's profitable because many of those things will be fixed under warranty, um, factory warranty or the, the federally mandated warranty, if that makes sense. So um, I would think a lot of the things we're doing now, yes, we will already be comfortable with that, but we will be investing in high voltage gloves and some of the high voltage tools and, and definitely training so that we understand them. Just impossible to know what percentage of uh, any independent repair shop's uh, business that will be. It's, it's very, very difficult, uh, kind of at a crossroads right now to where we don't really know um, when or how much that will be a factor, if that makes sense. That oh, makes total sense. All right, so let's talk a little about business ownership. You know, you guys have been in the shop game for a bit. What, what, is, what is something that no one tells you about being a shop owner? Like when you first got in, what's something that you just, you, you did it because you loved it, but you didn't know until you knew? I'm going to let Jen, I'm gonna let Jen answer that one. <laughs> Probably be a slew of uh, yeah. curse words from yeah. me, so we'll let Jen answer. <laughs> Jen's answer, which she's not very, I wouldn't say is one of my strong suits, actually. So it's been, it's been an interesting challenge for me to navigate into sometimes just take a deep breath and or rely on Tony who's better at this but um, would be the amount of what I would call grief counseling you have to have to perform with with customers you know uh, car repairs are stressful for people and I I totally I do understand it but I also kind of don't because I've always been married to the mechanic right so my check engine light comes on I can text my husband and and now even I know like if I can drive it or not, right? For the, for the most part. And so my anxiety around auto repair is fairly low and we see it all the time. But I realize that for consumers, it, it's one of those things that you don't know what's wrong. You don't know how much it's going to cost you to fix it. There's so many unknowns. And so being 
the person who has a clear path of action and, you know, consistent communication and, you know, without obviously glossing over, we don't, we don't want to tell people everything's okay if it's not, but, but I think just having some answers and someone they can bounce off of really helps bring down their level of anxiety and brings up the level of trust. But I really had, uh, Tony did this for many years before I entered the, the shop on a day-to-day -day basis. And that's one of the things that even to this day, like I'm surprised, I, I guess, I don't know what I thought, you know, <laughs> that you, you basically, you fix cars, right? You order parts and you fix cars, but there's so much of a relational component that goes into even just making appointments or, uh, following through the whole process, you know, selling work, informing the customer. So the, I call it grief counseling sometimes. And, and Tony's really good at it where he can really, you know, understand how the customer might be feeling and explain the technical details to their capability, which, which really puts people at ease. But that was something that just shocked me. So, um, and it's, and it's a daily thing. It's not something that you can just, if you don't care about it, I feel like your customers are going to feel it and you're not going to be any different than anybody else. You know, you really can't be detached from, from the way they're feeling. Okay. So tell me a little bit about, about your customer service, your philosophy. Like, do you have a philosophy around customer service and how you guys treat customers and how you kind of walk them through and just you know, how you follow up, like, what's your, what's your philosophy around that, that you're passing down to your, your new service writer? Yeah. So that, that's a great question. And, and, um, it was one of the things that, that we probably couldn't initially have verbalized, but that we tried to make our, our business different way back when this was, uh, you know, working out of our three-car garage up by our house, you know, back in 2006. And, and that's just that I had worked in the dealership environment along with a couple other repair shops. And we just realized, wow, we, we pretty much just need to do the opposite of what the dealer is doing. And it would probably serve us and our customers you know, quite well. So for example, uh, like I mentioned, if you drop your car off at the dealer, oftentimes it's a very uh, cumbersome, inefficient process because there's so many people involved in that chain of command, right? You might talk to a, a receptionist who's, who's in high school who might then refer you to a service writer's assistant who then might refer you to the service writer. And then if you actually want to know what the technician found on your car, you're probably never going to speak to the technician that actually is working on your car. So there, there's all these barriers between you and your car, and, and which of course those things are intertwined. You brought your car in because it's broken and it's it may be a part of your identity. It's most certainly essential to your, you know, to your life. So for us, uh, not that I speak to, not that I work on every car personally, and not that I speak to every customer personally, but if you were to call our shop and say, you know, my, my name is, you know, John Doe, and I've got a 325 IBMW in there that you guys are doing front control arms on, and I'm wondering if you can also just, um, you know, go ahead and throw tie rod ends in that or front brakes in it while you're there, or did you check those things? there's a pretty good chance that whoever answers the phone is going to know that they're going to know your car because we're looking out at the window and we know which one it is. And if they don't know, they'll say, hold on and just cover the mic with their hand and, and scream, Hey, Tony, or Hey, Ben, or, uh, you know, Hey, Jen, or Hey, Jackson, that white three series outside, you know, what the brakes look like in that. Now we should have that in the inspection form. Uh, but th the point is if you need an answer or, or here's one, imagine how many phone calls or how many people you'd have to talk to if you're just wondering if you left your wallet or garage door opener or or maybe your cell phone in your car after you've dropped it off at the dealership, it, it's probably six people that this needs to get through to have somebody finally go stick their head under your seat and see if your wallet's in there. You call here and myself or Jen or Jesse or whoever answers the phone, 
is going to walk out there and look and say, yep, here it is. You know, we'll, we'll sell it on eBay or, you know, <laughs> something stupid like that. But the point is you, you can, you can just talk to us directly or you can text us and you'll have an answer pretty much right away. It doesn't have to go through an entire bureaucracy of, of um, employees to, to get you simple answers on your car. Right. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing Jen already touched on is, you know, we, we try to be empathetic and saying, Hey, if you're here, you're probably not thrilled that your car is broken. This probably is something that's disrupting, you know, your life in some way. And it may even be a type of thing where if the bill is too much or more than you were expecting, you may be canceling a vacation or, or canceling some Christmas presents. I mean, the, the auto repair can be a, a very significant expense for most families. And so we just try to be cognizant of that every time we pick up the phone and saying, Hey, this is somebody with a family and with obligations and, and they're probably a little bit anxious and a little bit stressed. Let's, let's try to help them through this as best we can and not treat them like a number, which is how we've always felt uh, dealerships are. And not because they're terrible people, the, the dealerships, I mean, they're just large businesses and large businesses have to have, uh, you know, economies of scale, so to speak, where they, they can't, they can't personally look at every car or go check for your wallet. And you're, they're, they're, they just have to have that many people, but they also become less efficient and less personal as the business grows. And we've tried to keep that small business feeling even as we have grown. Mm-hmm. Right. And something you guys do that's super duper personal that, I, that I've never seen anybody else do and I thought was really neat the first time I saw it was your cell phone numbers on the website. Mm-hmm. You know, yes. yeah, the, is texting is is having that on the website as intrusive as people might think it is? Like, do like people would like I would autom- automatically assume that my phone is going to get blown up twenty four seven. How is that? You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Jen answer that about the, the the newest app that we have. But long story short, when it was just me fixing cars, it 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 could be there was times, but it also felt good to put people at ease on a on a Friday night or a Saturday afternoon when they would you know, message or call and say, Oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I'm in the cities and my check engine lights flashing and my car's running. Do I you're running rough? Do I need to spend $400, you know, to have this towed or have my husband come get me. And I'm able to tell him, you know, Hey, based on what you're telling me, it's likely an ignition coil. The computer is going to disable the injector to protect the converter in the engine. No, you're safe to drive it. It's just going to be a little bit sluggish. Um, th- that to me always feels really good to be able to put people's mind at ease or at least arrange leaving them out a loaner car or helping them with a tow, you know, if needed. But uh, uh, as the business has grown, and since I'm no longer the one always answering the phone, Jen came up with a solution um, to that. And and what is that called? Sure. So we use, um, we use a VoIP or voice over IP app now. So we don't have physical phones in our shop with the traditional VoIP system, but it's, it's an application that we can download on a specific number of devices. And so Tony's personal phone, my personal phone, our service writer chooses to use his personal phone because the communications are all contained in the VoIP system um, without being intrusive to him personally. And But the, the neat thing is, is that it's still always with you when you want it to be and when it's appropriate, but it's also something that now we can technically put on do not disturb, which for Tony and I, we don't do that often. Um, and believe it or not, we've I don't know if this is just 
the type of people that you attract or if we're just lucky with the type of cars that we work on, most people are actually really respectful. They, If they are messaging us at all at night or on a weekend, it's because either A, they have an emergency and they literally have no choice, or B, they're just thinking, they say, hey, don't worry about it till Monday. I'm just looking to get an oil change next week. And they're super respectful about it. And so um, we love texting because I feel like everybody is busy. And if I could text my dentist to make an appointment, that would be really cool, you know, and, and that's getting better, right? I mean, all this stuff is coming to all industries, but um, I think that's one of the things too, that, you know, people sometimes will just message me. I've never met them before. And they'll say, Hey, can I get a timing belt quote on my golf, you know, TDI? I text it back to him. I send a link. We do, we do use shopware as a system. So it's got like the customer facing, you know, quote system and all that. So I can follow up with a link that way. And now they really know like, wow, these people are organized, even though they're in the middle of nowhere. So I think, Again, it served us well to be available to people, but people respect that. I do have other shop owners, even our, our area say, man, I would never do that. Or, or people just keep messaging me on Sunday, but I don't really feel like that's been our experience, especially in the last, you know, five years or so as we've matured and our business has matured. I think they've, you know, they've sensed that it's no longer just, you know, Tony and his cell phone. And so um, it, it is his cell phone number and we had to make that kind of like the voice IP thing, but it's been really good. And I think it's the number one thing. People are just like, wow, this is great. Like who has time for a phone call? And then you, you don't get someone and you leave a voicemail and they get back to you. So I really would encourage if, if shops have a mechanism for answering those and maybe just having one person on the weekend who leaves it on, we literally get like two texts a weekend. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's not a ton and it's, it's definitely been manageable. So yep. uh, it's, it's a good question. And I certainly understand the reservations that, uh, mm -hmm. that, that you had and that a lot of people would have. But for us, evidently, it's just been set up in such a way that people are respectful of it. And we're, we're happy to help. You know, like I said, I get texts like that. And it, it really makes me feel good if I can, if I can help somebody not ruin their Friday night, uh, being stranded in their car, if it's something that's, that's totally drivable, or, saying, hey, let's have you drive it up right now and I'll go stick key in a loaner car for you and we'll look at it Monday. You know, I'm not going to look at it Sunday morning, but I can leave you a loaner car and you can mm -hmm. get on with your life. And mm -hmm. uh, that's, again, where the loaner cars are a lifesaver. Yeah. So, so, And that's highly convenient. I mean, I think for me, yeah, like you said, it's just that whole peace of mind factor, knowing that I can text you, you can leave, a, you know, like you said, leave a key in a loaner car. Like I've got options in when I probably wouldn't otherwise. Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Your car breaks on in the cities, you know, at whatever, and you're an Audi of Minneapolis customer, like you're not texting them on Sunday to get no. a loaner car. No. It's not happening. You're calling a tow truck. <laughs> you know? Right. So tell me, you know, in conclusion, like what, what's your favorite thing about being shop owners? Like what do you just absolutely love? What gets you out of bed? What just drives you about owning a shop? Well, I'll go first on that one. I, I, I've always been a gearhead. Um, we do now have our dealer's license, which uh, I can thank Jennifer for getting that and saving us a boatload of sales tax over the last uh, five or six years, however long we've had yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I'm a gearhead, always have been. <clears throat> we've got to own some really fun cars that if you would have asked me four or five years ago, I mean, sometimes we'll be driving along, going to lunch, <clears throat> going out to eat, whatever it is. And it's like, oh, pinch me. I just, I never thought we'd get to drive cars like this. And those are cars that like the dealership owns. Um, and we let our, uh, our friends, you know, test drive them and, and, and sometimes customers too, if, if they're real interested in them, I, I think for me, it's, it will always be a passion. Just, uh, we appreciate 
nice things and especially nice cars. And so it's fun to talk about them with people. If you, if you do happen to be driving one to a restaurant or to the gas station, and um, we typically try to park in the back and not draw attention to ourselves. But if someone comes over and wants to chat, take a picture in it, pop the hood, take it for a spin, it's, it's just really fun to share those things, uh, those common interests with, with people. And uh, secondly, I, I think, you know, my, my wife and I, Jen here, we, we work together every day and have now for yeah five years and we love each other we've been you know married for 16 now 16 or 17 16 or 17 Neither somewhere there knows, yeah. ha- probably happily <laughs> probably probably Sorry. happily for about 14 but yeah. married for 17 but um, it, it's awesome that, that that we get to do that work together every day in something that we're both mm-hmm. pretty passionate about and she is she has strengths in areas that I don't and vice versa and we're able to pay our employees well we're able to send them on, you know, some vacations at our expense sometimes and let them take the dealership cars home to enjoy with their family and uh, use our cabin. Um, it's just been such a blessing to to be able to share those things. So uh, b- being a gearhead, I, I don't believe there's anything else that I meant to do. And like I said, five years ago, I, I would have never envisioned it would have grown to this, but it, it's awesome. I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it for for anything. So that, that'd be mm-hmm. my answer. I'll let mm-hmm. Maybe Jen's going to say the opposite of that and no. say, man, can't wait to get Tony out of here and all that. But no, I was actually going to say the same thing that I know this wouldn't have to be industry specific, but I think we were always meant to work together when we were really, we were young when we met and Tony started fixing cars, as you've maybe gathered, you know, from his story of school and then a dealership and then quickly moving here and starting to wrench. So you know, we were 21 years old when, when precision imports was started. And at that time, we always kind of dreamed, you know, you're young, you don't have any realistic, (laughs) realistic, like, you know, life views or whatever. We thought we'd always work together, but you know, I went to school, I I worked somewhere else in a manufacturing company for 10 years. And I liked that too. But the day came where Tony was talking about the help he needed. And it just felt like there was a lot of things lining up that it was like time and it hit us. And we were like, wow, like maybe now is the time that we're going to work together. And I've really been grateful for that because it meant that I didn't have to, I don't have to commute. I don't have to work hard for someone else's business, which I appreciated doing at the time, but I'm, I'm a good organizer. And I like, I love tackling projects and tasks. And I was doing that for other people. And it's really cool that I get to do it for our family now. And so um, it was kind of cool that it feels like that was something when we were really young that we just talked like, you know, yeah, we're going to do that. And, and the fact that it became real is pretty cool. Um, and then I would just say, I like being a shop owner because, um, I grew up with a dad who restores muscle cars. So it's a little different, you know, type of work, but a, a mechanical guy. And so I grew up going to car shows and my dad was always working on a car he still is. And so when I met and married Tony, I guess it just felt like a really natural, you know, transition just the car, the whole car thing, you know, so it's a good fit. So I've, I've always had interest and I feel like I have some ability, you know, even if it's just my organization skills, they don't give me a wrench around here or anything, but, um, it just seemed like a good fit. Like it was meant to be. So I appreciate that we have the opportunity and that's probably what I like most about being a shop owner is just getting to do something that's challenging in my area of interest. And I get it to do with my husband. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. Well, great answers, guys. And I uh, you know, really appreciate you guys joining me today on Ratchet and Wrench Radio. It's been a pleasure talking to you again. Yeah. You too. Thank yeah. Thank you. Th- thank you for checking in. Absolutely. And uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Sounds good. Take care. You too. Bye.
And that'll do it for us here today at Ratchet and Wrench Radio. May the rest of your day be the best of your day. And we'll see you next week.